This is the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. Your hosts, Sam Harris and Nicholas Farik, digest the most interesting, informative, and topical books, giving you their biggest insights. We expose different perspectives and tools to look at the world to make you wiser than yesterday. Hello, everyone. And welcome to the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. My name is Nico. As usual, I'm joined by my friend Sam. And today we are discussing a very famous book called The Republic by Plato. And so The Republic is, as most of Plato's works, written in dialogic form. And the main character is Socrates. Before we get into it, what's it about and what format it is, Sam, tell me, how did you feel reading the book? I was really excited to read this book just because of I thought it was going to be like the communist manifesto or something but sort of a 2000 year older version of just like mm. how things might be and then it, it was quite different and i was a bit confused the entire time why socrates was in it and if he was supposed to be like the socrates or like a different guy and it just was continually a conversation because i thought it might turn into more of like a 1984 or like brave new world because it like actually had characters and seemed to have a story but then it was like oh actually it's purely just people speaking the whole time so initially I was a bit surprised by that and then I was just rather challenged by the fact that I've been very mind occupied by business and running around the whole time trying to do business odd break I have it's sort of my brain needs to process that stuff and trying to listen to this it sort of didn't really work too well <laughs> and I just wasn't listening and it would have been great if I had the book and maybe before bed just sort of use it to kind of switch off a bit more and like be winding down as opposed to trying to use it for like learning during doing other stuff mm -hmm. i've got different balls running so i really didn't do very well with this book at all and i'd be listening to it and just be like yeah like nothing's happening i've they said some words and i forgot what was going on and then i kind of tuned back in and they said some more words and i forgot again so i didn't learn too much at all and we delayed a bit because i was like i really need to get this right and then i kind of i kind of just gave up and was like okay you've read it you've done lots of background reading i'm just gonna be here and you can teach me and they can like mm -hmm. ask questions and we're going to do mm -hmm. it in a slightly different format. I'm going to try and explain what happened and Sam's going to be like, I don't get what you're what? saying. But anyway, yeah. yeah, exactly. So yeah, but I agree. It's, it's not an easy book. And as you said, I've, I've done some extra reading and some extra researching and studying. And there's been whole essays that have been written on like single sentences from this book. Mm. And you should know that the book is super long. So basically the book describes like a day of conversation between Socrates and a few other of his followers. And so it's literally like a conversation that takes a day. And so the whole book in audio format takes about 12 hours. And so, yeah, it's just one big and long conversation with constant references to previous parts of the conversation two hours back that you maybe listened to a few days back. And so it gets pretty difficult to follow. And I think it's a recurring theme in these older philosophical works is that if you want to really grasp the concepts that have been discussed in it, like reading the works themselves is not enough. I would even see if you're short on time, you shouldn't even try and read the original books. You should look up some summaries and some people explaining it, some people discussing it like ourselves, because that's going to teach you more than listening or reading the, the works themselves. Nice sales pitch though. Yeah. Shameless plug. All right. So more on the book itself. So it consists of 10 parts and it is the reason why Plato was seen as the OG of political philosophy. So books actually searches for justice. And so in the conversations that happen during the book, Socrates is challenged and through conversation and asking questions, he tries to find out, okay, what justice is. So what justice is within an individual? And 
because he says that finding justice in an individual is quite complex. He actually makes a tangent and actually says, okay, if we can find justice in a republic, we can actually take that knowledge and then put it onto the individual. And that will give us an insight into both the justice in the republic and justice in the individual. And so to figure out what is justice in a republic, Socrates and his followers try to think about and reason about the utopia, the ideal republic. And so that's actually the biggest part of this book. It is how would the perfect republic look like? How would it be ruled? Like, what are the people doing, etc. Is there anything there that's stuck to you? Sam? Not really. I just remember them going deeper into questions and being like, oh, there's quite a lot of flaws. Like, why isn't it this way? Yeah. So one of the criticisms I have of the book is that quite often you're like listening and you're trying to imagine yourself being part of the conversation, right? You're like sitting and Socrates is talking and you're like, but Socrates is talking to like Glaucus and Admantus and, and all these other Greek, fellow Greek people, Athenians. And so quite often Socrates like puts like a concept out there and then asks, do you agree Glaucus or Adamantus or, or whoever he's talking to? And quite often they're like, oh yeah, of course it's the case. And I'm like, no, it's not the case. I don't understand. Like, what, what are you saying? Like, there's quite a lot of concepts that he bases his further arguments on. It feels like he's talking to these yes men, you know? Yeah, People exactly. that are like, oh yeah, of course you fully agree and you're smarter than me, Socrates. So whatever you say, you're right. And for that reason, it sometimes gets a bit frustrating listening because you're like, nah, I don't really agree with that. But then the others agree. And so they continue the conversation, assuming that everyone agreed on that concept so plato's ideal republic how does it work maybe i can ask you some questions so is plato's ideal republic is it a democracy as we think of a democracy i don't think if i remember yes correct so basically plato does not favor a democracy he is more in favor of aristocracy where a few elite people and we'll see later who those people are actually rule the city and make all major decisions and so I could talk about the city itself. So people are divided into three different classes. There's the artisans, merchants, and farmers. So these are the people who actually produce things. They're the ones that create value. They're the ones, you know, who make shoes, clothes, tables, grow crops, etc. So they provide for everyone within the Republic. Then the second class is the guardians. And so the guardians are the one who defend the Republic against people from the outside, but also keep the peace inside the city. So they're like police slash army something like that. And then finally, there's the rulers. And so the rulers are a select group of men or women. So that's one of the modern things about Plato is that he actually is super equal. Like the gender equality is the basis of his theories. And so for him, there's no significant difference between men and women. And so men and women can all be rulers or guardians or producers. So yeah, that's the different classes. Did that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And then does he go into like how you would change class at all or like why the elite get to be the elite. Yeah, so basically he draws a parallel between uh, a republic and the human mind. And so the human mind actually has four different characteristics. There is reason, there's passion or spirit, there's desire or appetite, and then there's justice. And so what he says is that justice, so the fourth part of the soul or, or of a human being, is achieved when the three others are in balance. So when reason passion and desire are all in balance. And so basically what he says is that reason should be responsible for certain things in your life. Passion should be responsible for other things in life and desire should be um, responsible for yet other things in life. And he th says that these things shouldn't cross. So basically reason has a certain responsibilities, desire and passion, they all have their responsibilities. And whenever these are defined and in balance, you create justice. And so he says that that is also the case within the Republic. So you have the workers, you have the guardians and you have the ruling class. They all have their responsibilities. 
And whenever people are doing what they're supposed to do, everything is balanced, then there is justice. So that's his ideal republic, his utopia. But then, yeah, I guess it's sort of, so why can't the people who working in the farms and stuff vote on who gets to rule them and stuff and like change who the elite is? That's a, this is a very good question. And that's also key of, so Plato's thinking, I don't know if you're familiar with the allegory of the cave. I feel like I've read about it and forgotten about it. Mm, yeah. I was taught the ideas of allegory of the cave in my high school, like way, way back. And so I didn't remember anything, but basically the concept is as follows. This is basically an allegory, like an illustration of the human condition. And so uh, you can imagine following, so you have a cave and there's people, so humans are actually chained to a rock facing a wall. And so they're chained in a way that they can't even move their heads. So they can only see what's in front of them. And that's the wall. Behind them, there's a fire. And between the fire and the people, there's other men, they're walking and they have objects on their heads. So for example, they have the shape of a horse on their head. And so the shadows of the fire and the horse get reflected on the wall that the people that are chained are seeing. And so basically they see the shadow of an reproduction because it's not even a real horse. It's someone holding the shape of the horse on their head. And so basically that's a human condition. So that goes into um, Plato's theory of forms where he says that everything, a horse, a person, beauty has like an ideal form the ideal horse and every horse that we see is actually an imperfect reproduction of the ideal form of the horse does that make sense well i feel like in uh, plato's writing he would be like does that make sense oh yes of course it makes sense well i mean there's a few like flaws here i mean like what is an ideal horse compared to like the horse that you're seeing right now is this not the ideal horse and like the ideal horse is the wrong right yeah well to answer your question what he says is that the average human is actually in the condition of being chained and only seeing the reflection of a copy of the ideal horse, basically. And so what we see is actually a reflection and we see like a boiled down version of the ideal horse. And through philosophy and through reasoning, you can rid yourself of your chains and you can see in the first stage, you can see the copy of the horse but not in a reflection, but the real copy of the horse. And so that's already like some form of liberation from your chains, from the human condition. And in the second step, you can actually exit the cave and see a real horse. And that is then the form of the horse. And that's like full enlightenment. And so that is actually what the philosopher achieved through philosophy, through reasoning. And so they can see the, the form of everything and understand the form of everything. And that is actually why they should be the rulers. And so the people that are changed are not the ones who should be selecting the rulers because they're limited in their knowledge. Yes. I hope that made some sense. Mm, yeah, it made some sense. It's still, I mean... Well, it can make sense without you having to agree with it, right? Because I don't really agree with it, but... Yeah, it's a bit of an abstract. As in, I agree that like people that don't think deeply kind of have like a lower level of thought on what's actually going on and don't appreciate these things. But then I don't think the analogy is quite correct. And I also think some of the philosophers think a bit too highly of like what they understand as truth and meaning. Mm -hmm. And Yeah, I saw a parallel there with Buddhism, where Buddhism said humans in their default state are driven by their senses and by reacting to whatever happens around them. And I had the impression mm -hmm. that Plato talks about the same thing when he says that the standard human condition is we are very limited in our understanding of the world and we are constantly reacting to things that are actually not even the real things, you know? And so mm -hmm. enlightenment in Buddhism and becoming like a philosopher. And I think he also uses the word enlightenment or he might use a different word, but it's more understanding that the fundamentals of things. And of course there's differences, but quite a lot of philosophers realize that what we see and what we understand of the world is quite limited. Yeah, definitely. I prefer that analogy to the uh, cave, mm. to be fair. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I'm more of a fan of how Buddhists see things and also explain things. And also there, can you explain to me why 
Taleb. So you and I were both big fans of Nassim Taleb. And so he refers quite a lot to Platonists. And so do, do you understand now more why he is so much against like Plato and, and, and people that follow him? Yeah, as in, well, not 100% because he likes the philosophers. So I don't know why he's against Plato. Mm-hmm. I understand why he might not think the Plato Republic form of just sort of the elite few. Because I guess he doesn't tend to like the elite few usually. He usually thinks that everyone's an idiot. So I'm assuming he's like, unless it's him, he doesn't like it. So in that sense, that would be why I think he's annoyed by Plato and this. But you think it kind of goes into some of his reasonings. And if someone that was like at his level of thinking and understood risk and uncertainty and statistics at a core level, he might be happy with them ruling. But maybe he prefers just the masses. Yeah, as far as I understood it, he is not necessarily against the Republic that Plato like constructs and reasons because in the end they're just imagining an ideal republic and saying okay this is going to be the best republic and so he's more against the reasoning itself and so he says plato's republic is like an ultimate bureaucracy where the small few elite decides what everyone has to do and so that's fundamentally what taleb is against you know he's more liberal in that sense where he says like there's a natural selection happening on all different levels of human society and the more you intervene there the worse society is going to be and so what Plato does is he's going to decide everything because he's ever, he has everything figured out. He understands everything. And, you know, the philosophers, they have true knowledge and that makes them fit to rule. And Taleb says, absolutely not true. There's no one who has true knowledge of the world because the world is too complex. And so you should just let people do their thing and let them learn from their mistakes. And if they fail, then that's a lesson for future generations, I guess. And they won't make the same mistake again. So he's against a fully planned economy. And I think... He doesn't like anything to be too focused, as in you're going to be more anti-fragile the more options you have available. So if you only have like people that have a one way of thinking mm-hmm. leading, it might not always be the best people to have. So if you have the option for like a different way of thinking to come in, that might be appropriate at a different time. Mm-hmm. And that way, like if something comes that sort of breaks your current system, a new stronger system will come out of it because you have the option for these things. Exactly. Yeah. So I think if you if you look at it, if you analyze it, if you think about a fully planned economy, the cool thing about our economy is that if the demand of something rises, the price will rise. And so more people will start producing it. Let's say you're very good at making shoes and you make the best shoes or people need more shoes, then more people will start making shoes because the price goes up because the demand goes up. And so in Plato's Republic, there's a certain amount of people that has been decided by the philosophers making shoes. And if there's a shortage of shoes, no one extra is going to start making shoes, basically. So you stop the, the natural evolution of, of market forces. And there's some other interesting parts of, of, of the way he, he does things. So the, the more particular things is that in Plato's Republic, there are no families. So it is all centrally planned. And so there are festivals where men and women get together and they get, basically get paired up by their virtues. So if you have two very wise people, so a man and a woman, they get paired up and they have to make sure there's offspring that is also wise or hopefully wise at least. And so there's no families because everyone's brother and sister. So everyone is one big family, basically. So how does do people just be divided the whole time and they can't have any like sex or fun or anything the rest of the time and they don't have like a partner? As far as I understood, no. So uh, it's fully centrally planned. So Plato lived like this himself, like just trying to find smart women to have sex with and not talking to them like for a year otherwise? No idea. He doesn't even speak in the dialogues, right? It's just, it's purely yeah. Socrates and others discussing stuff. So at least from this book, I don't know much about Plato himself. Well, I guess he was kind of more sort of suggesting it was like, well, if it's best that we only have wise people and like these things, then perhaps like completely sort of rewiping, okay, how would it be rather than actually expecting it to happen. Exactly. It's an ideal. I don't think they thought that they could... More like a utopian sort of 
magical weirdness around it. Yeah, exactly. So interesting. Yes. Also, one important part of it is quite interesting. It's called the noble lie. And so in the book, they discussed this noble lie. And so the noble lie is basically the philosopher kings would tell everyone that people have souls of either gold, silver, or brass slash iron. And so educators would keep track of natural abilities. And these medals would actually decide what a human would do in life. And so they assume that it is actually given from parents to children. So if you have two parents who have gold in them, their child is expected also to be gold, but this is not necessarily always true. So it is possible that two gold parents have a brass or iron child. Anyway, this is a lie or a myth that the rulers would tell to the people in order to make it easier for them to comply with whatever they're told. So basically, the educators would tell someone, okay, you are going to be making shoes because you have brass or iron in, inside of you, and this is your natural destiny, I guess. Interesting. Yep. Seems a bit odd. I guess you didn't really get the whole growth mindset. You can do anything. And one last point I found interesting was that in the book, Plato refers quite a lot to um, Homer. And Homer was like a very uh, well-known poet of, at the time. And most of the knowledge at the time came from the writings of Homer because there weren't that many writings in general. And so his writings were used as the understanding of the gods and how things, like, how, how things should be. And so Socrates in his dialogues is quite negative about Homer and art in general because he challenges the fact that art is used as a basis of, of human life and human knowledge. And he says that art actually makes it harder for people to use reason to achieve real knowledge. And so that's why I think he says that there shouldn't be any artists inside the perfect republic, which I found quite interesting. Yeah, I think that's going to come up a bit in when we do The Shortness of Life, where it gets very into everyone should be a philosopher and mm. anyone doing anything else is kind of wasting their time. Mm. And kind of this like any single profession you could be doing and it's why it's pointless and like art is just sort of just purely like satisfaction of the senses mm, and mm. there's no purpose to it and you're like mm, i think we should maybe allow some kind of artists mm. and like people to be creative and experimental mm -hmm. i mean the same way if like it's nice to be religious and a nice person but you shouldn't necessarily always force what you think on other people kind of thing i have an idea what if we at the end of all our uh, philosophical reading make an episode and try to devise our own perfect republic with or without <laughs> art we can figure it out perfect that sounds like an interesting challenge all right if you listen to this podcast before you've read the republic i would start actually by listening to other things or reading other things more than the, the work itself because it's going to make you understand it more and then perhaps afterwards if it really interests you go through the book because it, it takes a while it's a long book all right so ratings sam yeah i guess a three again is in i think i've learned a lot more from reading other things about it the ideas and the actual text itself is not really i mean the stuff they talk about is really cool i really like going into sort of edge sort of thought analysis of how something could be and questioning why things are the way they are and sure probably shouldn't end up the way they're suggesting it mm -hmm. but it does like ask a lot of questions that are useful to think about mm -hmm. and make you think about why are we doing it this way and maybe isn't the optimal way mm -hmm. so in that sense it's actually really useful mm -hmm. but in terms of practical use it's a bit low and could be done in a much more neatened format and certainly it's, it's interesting and impressive to, to kind of see someone thinking about these things back then and, and having a bit more of a fixed mindset thought of things but like sort of ideas around evolution the sort of concepts in some ways around like okay traits get passed on and you can sort of get better traits by selecting only those people and putting them together which uh, i mean they kind of did know about like horses and all these kind of things anyway mm -hmm. even though they hadn't really realized as such that it's kind of how animals were created and became a different species but 
it's still kind of cool to see but again like doesn't make it a good book just because of that i agree so yeah i wouldn't if i was recommending to friends who wanted to get into philosophy it wouldn't be where i'd start Mm. at all agreed all right thanks yeah from my side i think i'd give it a four similar reasons to you but i think it's because it's like a conversation it's it's easier than some of the other philosophy books that we listen to i mean um, if mm. i had to choose to listen to this book again or to confessions by saint augustine i, I choose this one immediately <laughs> and i think so what i did was i listened to the book first then i did some extra reading and now i'm like i've had the impression that i missed quite a lot so i'd be interested to to read it again just to see oh, ah, yeah, that's this point etc but in general, I think it's pretty good, but I would recommend you not to listen to the book first and do some extra reading next week. All right, that wraps up the episode. For next episode, we're continuing with the ancient Greek philosophers, and we're going to be listening to a book by Seneca the Younger, and it's called On the Shortness of Life. Pretty excited on that. It's the Stoic Direction. And yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, it's good. I have already read it. So better than the last one, I to read it more this time again i mean that was like two years ago or something but a lot of concepts have already stuck with me so all right see you in the next episode then cheers thank you for listening to our podcast as you know we are doing this to try and help you get smarter well i have another project for podcast listeners just like you who want to be smart nico and i learned so much from reading the same things together and discussing them and I wanted there to be a tool that made it easy for anyone to listen to the same podcasts and books together with their friends. So I'm building the app Syncify, which does just that. It connects you with your friends in the app, listen to the same things at the same time, or create shared playlists and work through them at your own pace. You can share comments and highlights of your favourite bits, and become smarter by seeing what your friends think around the same content that you enjoy. As a bonus... It also helps with your mental health and reduces isolation. Personally, I hate publishing my life on social media, which I find all rather antisocial, and I don't go out of my way to phone a friend for no reason other than the fact I feel lonely. But I do love doing things with other people, and having my friends listen to the same things is, is really awesome. I mean, I used to speak to Nico like once a year before we started this book club together, and now we talk all the time because we're just doing something together. So do yourself a favor and sign up for the Syncify app at syncifyapp.com. And I really hope it helps. Thanks a lot for listening. If you enjoyed the show or learned anything new, be sure to share it with your friends. And I just can't tell you how great it is if you were to happen to leave a review on iTunes. These really do help quite a lot. If you have any questions or books that you'd like us to read, feel free to reach out to us through the website wiserpod.com or reach out to us on LinkedIn. And just keep loving and keep learning and ideally keep listening. Big love from Sam and Nico and the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. Podcast.